Okay, we should be getting live here in a second. All right, what's up, everybody? It is uh, good to be with you again. It's me, your boy, Joe, with your boy, Jeroboam. Hey, what it do? Hey, so here we are for episode number two of What Do You Believe? We are so excited about this new podcast and what God has been doing already uh, through it. We already had a 1,000 views on our last episode. And once again, you can find us on iTunes under our church's name, Metro Praise International, or at an app store. You can get the app, Metro Praise International, and find us there. And so uh, we've been really seeing God use this uh, podcast already, and now we're going to get into our second one. And basically, What Do You Believe is a podcast that is a relevant Pentecostal voice that is focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology, hosted by uh, Jared and myself. And so what's cool about this is that we like to have uh, segments to break it up and let you join us live. And then those who go back and listen to it, it will keep your attention a little bit better. I've already heard some feedback that people say they like it because uh, these segments make it more conversational. So what we want to do is start off with our About Us section right now where we're reviewing what the show is all about. The name we went over last week, What Do You Believe?, coming from uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? The Socratic method of asking questions, and we're going to employ a bunch of that today, asking more questions. And as a matter of fact, when I preach, a lot of times people want to ask I answer my questions because I ask, ask a lot of rhetorical questions. What do you think about that kind of method? Well, I, th I learned a lot about teaching, and teaching involves causing people to learn. And just because you're saying it doesn't mean people are hearing it. Um, I find that somebody has learned something when they can actually tell you themselves in their own words from their understanding. Therefore, the process of asking questions to get people to stimulate their thinking and and kind of get them where you want them to go. That's that's advanced level teaching right there. And Jesus, of course, he's he's the master teacher. Uh, yeah. So once again, if and this is perhaps a word to teachers here, if we take Jesus' advice, uh, once again, just because you said it doesn't mean they heard it, doesn't mean they believe it, doesn't mean they understand it. But if you can get them to say it, just like. Um, just like Peter had said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, that proper response prompted by Jesus's questioning, which was where he was going all along. And that's where we want to take you. Amen. That's awesome. And so, yeah, the podcast, What Do You Believe, is really based upon this idea of ask, asking questions to you, the believer, and the unbeliever alike, and seeing what you think. Well, today, let's get into this part about our name and our vision which is being a relevant Pentecostal podcast. So we want to be a relevant Pentecostal voice that focuses on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. And when we think about uh, Pentecostal theology, one of the first places that we need to go is we need to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, uh, we had some uh, lagging last time, so I had to switch software. So right now we will be using 
the Zoom software. So there'll be a logo there that will show uh, Zoom. I can't get them to take it off, but I am paying for this. And it's a great feature that lets us go here as well as uh, record the show. So we're really excited about using this software, just so if you wonder what Zoom is. But you can find us online at whatdoyoubelievetv.com or our Facebook page. Well, being a relevant voice for Pentecostalism, we want to look at Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 8 and onward. Uh, let's just start at verse 7, rather. He said to them, Jesus, it is not for you to know the, day, uh, the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then it says he was taken up before their eyes, hid in a cloud. You go to Acts chapter 2, and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, verse 1 of chapter 2, they were together in one place, suddenly uh, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we can't get into all of the depth of the history of Pentecostalism, but right now, actually, our church is doing the daily devotional. I, I wrote a 365 devotional, and every month is a new series. June was all about being Spirit-filled, and so even today, there was a devotion released about the uh, history of the gifts in church, in church history. So go back and look at it if you want to see more about it. But really what defined us as Pentecostals in the early 1900s is that we believe that in the continuation of the gifts, and this was evidenced by speaking in tongues. Now, there are some people around today, a very small minority, who believe in cessationism, that the gifts have ceased. We are continuationists. We believe the gifts are continuing. Well, why am I continuationist? Because the Bible teaches it. Amen. Jesus says in Mark 16, these signs will follow them that believe as they go preach the gospel. We're still preaching the gospel. Signs are still following. Paul said in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, to eagerly desire the gifts. And I say, yes, sir, I'm still eagerly desiring them. He said, don't forbid speaking in tongues and for us to all want to prophesy. Amen. Amen. And that's what we want to do. And then also uh, Jesus said, that here in Acts, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And then when it happened on the day of Pentecost, where we get our name Pentecostals, Baptists get their name from baptisms, like John the Baptist was a baptizer. Well, we get our name from Pentecost, and the day the Holy Spirit was poured out was a Jewish feast, 50 days after Passover. So anyways, Jesus said it would happen. The promise of the Father would come. The Holy Spirit would come. Well, then when Peter starts preaching, he then says in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38 and onward, he says, that uh, we should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then listen to what he says here. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, all who the Lord our God will call. I want you to see that that this is the promise that we were given that was prophesied by Joel, fulfilled here in uh, the book of Acts. Peter says, this gift is for you, your children, and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So here's what I like to say. Pentecostal gifts are for all the Lord our God will call. Amen. And is he still calling all to salvation? Yes. He wishes Absolutely. that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so therefore he's still calling all to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what separates us is that there may be other Christians who say maybe the gifts haven't ceased, 
but they're not frequent. They don't happen a lot, and we shouldn't really go after them. Once again, the, what makes the Pentecostals different is that we believe we should pursue them, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, that we should eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And let me just show you that passage as well from Paul as we get ready to conclude our first section. And remember, if you have any questions while you're joining us live, make sure you ask them here in the chat box on Facebook so that we can get to you at the end of this podcast. We have six 10-minute segments, and the last 10 minutes is a Q&A. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter four, chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So here you can see, as a podcast, we're going to do what the early disciples did. We're going to believe God for the boom shakalaka yes. power of the Holy Spirit. We believe it's initiated through the speaking in tongues, and that opens the door to the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We believe it's normative for all believers. We believe, according to Mark chapter 16, that it's a sign even to the unbelievers. When it's then interpreted, it convicts them of their sin, and tongues can be interpreted. If the tongue is not meant for people, Paul says that no one understands them, not even the one speaking. That's when it's a prayer unto God glorifying the Lord. But when it's meant to be unto men and we speak our tongues unto men, it will be interpreted. And then that gift of the Holy Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, separate from water baptism, Jesus said, John the Baptist baptized in water, but I came to baptize you in the fire. And so when we look at the baptism of fire, it's evidence with the speaking in other tongues. There's now 600 million spirit-filled believers in the world. Over 80% of the church growth is through Pentecostal churches. The largest churches in the world are Pentecostal. And over 300 million believers have testified to seeing the miraculous. You can see that with Dr. Craig Keener's work on the miraculous. And these last few moments that we have here on this section, Jared, what do you think about that? What are some questions that come to mind? Um, some questions that come to mind is, um, it just in light of this, in light of the preponderance of biblical evidence, uh, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you operated in spiritual gifts? And if not, why not? Um, I, I suspect that people who are hesitant about uh, spirit baptism, spiritual gifts, tongues and the like, people who feel uneasy, honestly, I think it's tradition. In many cases, they were taught against it, and now it's hard to break the tradition, or it's experience. They had a bad experience, or maybe they witnessed somebody who's just way out there in the charismatic realm and said, I don't want to be like that guy. But listen, we just want what the Bible says. The Bible says that the baptism of the Spirit is the promised gift of the Father. I want every gift the Father has promised me. By the way, if he promised it, do you think he's going to deliver? I think so. So, friend, to reiterate my question to you, wherever you stand on this uh, particular matter, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you eagerly desire the spiritual gifts? And if not, why not? Amen. Let's go to what's happening at NPI. Yeah, what's happening at NPI? Uh, we had some very special guests uh, at our church this past weekend, Tisa and Jean Nicole. Um, Tisa is actually one of Joe's... Uh, uh, fellow classmates from SUM back in the late 90s. So they go way, way back down in, uh, back in New Orleans uh, where they were, um, they received their Bible college training. And uh, Tisa has been a missionary with Iris Ministries for about, oh gosh, over a decade with yeah. Iris Ministries. Yeah. Uh, Heidi and Roland Baker, I don't know if that name rings a bell, look them up, wonderful people, wonderful ministry. Uh, 
Tisa was doing ministry in Mozambique, Africa. She was the first missionary that our church sponsored. In the course of time, she met a great man named Gene who had a similar missionary calling. And uh, the last time we saw him before this weekend was actually, I remember it very vividly. It was early January 2008. I was barely saved two months, and these happened to be uh, the folks who baptized me in the pool oh, of the wow. hotel That's awesome. where they were in. Uh, so very dear to my heart, and it took a whole about nine years to see them again. And uh, so that was special. And, and one thing I noticed is they were like the same people as before. And uh, one thing they were saying the last time back in 08, and one thing they're saying this time is, is, is they had a heavy emphasis on always loving the person in front of you. I remember that from before. It stuck with me. And they were saying the same thing. And I would imagine if we could ask him now, I said, hey, do you remember us talking about uh, loving God, loving people? Yeah, we're still talking about loving God, loving people. There's just something blessed about consistency. They're the same folks. They have the same vision about always loving uh, the person in front of you. Uh, with that being said, there was a lot that was uh, in the Sunday services. A lot of people got blessed and touched. A lot of powerful ministry uh, took place. Um, but we did get to sit down. There was a lot of conversations as they were yes. hanging back at Joe's house. And I was there, uh, my family and I were there Sunday. Um, and also, uh, we can share the video later of Tisa, that the conversation. We guys went live yesterday. Yeah, we can find it on Facebook. Yeah, we, Facebook. we can find that on Pastor Joe's Facebook. Um, the, the point of that video was, was Tisa was being, uh, was being asked about people who have a heart to missions, for missions. They would go to Africa in a heartbeat. Yeah. They, they hear Tisa speak. They see the videos. They see the little package, the pictures. Yeah. I mean, and your heart just wells up with compassion. And like, oh, my gosh, I want to go to Africa, yeah. you know. And But she was at the same time, uh, she's got such a sweet spirit, so she's not overly critical. But at the same time, she's wondering, man, why are there no volunteers for the nursery in that church? Yeah. You know, she said to my wife a long time ago, kids are the same anywhere. If you can't stand kids here, if you find them annoying, if you can't handle their energy or whatever, or they're talking back, they're going to do the same thing in Africa. But, but the point was, we have a mission field here, amen, we're, and you have a mission field where you are. You are a missionary in your current environment. Uh, going back to Acts 1-8, which is a, a scripture she cited, yeah. Jesus talked about being his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, you start in your Jerusalem. What's your Jerusalem? For us, it's Chicago. For us, it's uh, Portage, uh, Cragen neighborhood. Or maybe if you if you live a little farther, it's it's wherever your house is. That's your Jerusalem. Well, what becomes your Judea or your Samaria is reaching your wider community. For us, Samaria is the west side, Cicero and Ohio Street. If you know Chicago. We call it Ohio Park. It's technically East Garfield Park, but it's the west side. It's the hood, right? We've been ministering there. We've adopted a block, 4700 West Ohio, for as long as we've been at church. And we've been going out there consistently. As a matter of fact, we're going to send out two vans uh, to go and pick up children. Because for us, this is our mission field. This is why we are here. So that is somewhat of a challenge. I'm, I'm putting the gauntlet down to you. How are you being a missionary in your current environment? 
and to share the heart of Tisa, as, as she's always said, how are you loving the person in front of you? What opportunities have you on your commute to work, uh, at your work, uh, school, anywhere else you go in the midst of running errands, in the midst of life, there are always people around you. The vast majority of them are lost. The vast majority of them don't know Jesus. They're, they're perishing, the Bible says. They're enemies of God. They're under his wrath and condemnation. There are also people bound up with, with strongholds of sin um, who are experiencing just great anguish because of the sin that as they have experienced in their lives. You have people who have who've gone through untold things, and they need the healing, and they need the love of Jesus. How are we going to extend that to the people around us uh, today? Um, also, on another note, we were talking about missions as a whole, how missions are conducted, and maybe you want to talk about this. I, I think yeah. the distinction is between charitable missions yeah. and outreach. How would you put it? I would say that, that what's the difference between charitable missions that you would do in a place like Africa and uh, say more strictly discipleship-based missions like you would do in a place like Taiwan, yes. which I was talking to them about. And this idea of missions, for the most part, comes across being very charitable, like an African scenario, a place in India where it's a village you're taking in children, orphanage. But as I was beginning to talk to them, the challenges of doing that is that you don't have a lot of civil government. You don't have a lot of civil services, protection, even just simple things like Internet. They say they keep having the phone lines installed and the people keep ripping them out. So I began to think to myself, is that the only place where missions is needed? No, missions is also needed in places like Beijing, China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, which my friend from Victory Fellowship back in the day uh, in New Orleans is now a missionary there in Taiwan. And it's going to be very different. So uh, if you're reaching people that are in poverty and don't have a lot of civil government, the upside to that is more money, more people to reach. So the more money you give an African missionary, the more people they can reach. The downside with that is they're going to have a lot of maybe false converts, people looking just for the money. And then it's going to be dangerous in those kind of areas. Now, on the flip side, you have a place like Taiwan, where the positive there is it's not going to cost a lot of money. You don't need more money to reach more people. You just need to be able to engage them and to be able to start relationships with them. Now, the trouble with that is, is like in Taiwan, there's only 3% of Christians. So the rest of them are Buddhist and Confucianist, you know, Taoist, and uh, they're very much ingrained in their culture. In some places like that, it can even be illegal to to publicly street preach. So what I was talking to Gene and Nicole about was, was the Metro Praise International vision. Do we find ourselves more going to places like India, like Africa, doing charitable missions, or do we find ourselves going to more unreached people groups? Because by the way, South Africa is 86% Christian, as opposed to 3% in Taiwan. And what I found ourselves leaning more towards was more of the discipleship-based outreaches. Yes. And right now we have a great relationship with uh, Pastor Ray. Uh, what's Pastor Ray? Lierna? Lierna. Yeah, Lierna, great brother uh, in the Philippines. And he will help us get established there in the Philippines. It's, in a, it's an English-speaking democracy. Yes. We can have a base there, the Bible College, and do charitable ministry there as well, but then send out 
to the places that may not have the need of uh, physical uh, healing, needing physical resources, but we could start sending out from there to the places like Taiwan, like Beijing, Southeast Asia, places like Indonesia, where yes, it's still going to be a, a, you know still going to be a good idea. Obviously, there's always poor people to help them in that way, but our greatest thing will probably be to make disciples. That's kind of the way I was thinking about. It. But then I started teasing them, and I said, you know, about that movie Machine Gun Preacher. What if you went out there and set up some security, built some fences, got a sheriff? Because that's how we established. It sounds like it's the wild, wild west out there. And that's how we established America was based on those kinds of things. So, Jared, close us out of this section and then we'll go to uh, what's in the news. Yes, my my missionary friends. Yes, you are a missionary. You are sent just like Jesus was sent by his father. So he sends you and. He sends me. So once again, our question to you is, how are you being a missionary in your local context? Who are you reaching? And I'm talking about actually going out and engaging lost people. Uh, I know we love missions. I know we see hurting people across the world. But how? what are you doing right now to reach the hurting people um, in your own neighborhood? That's great. Well, let's get into another section here in the news. Let's get into our in the news section. And by the way, those of you who are joining us, we are doing this as a podcast, so we appreciate you guys tuning in. And if you have questions, you can ask us at the end. We are your relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. Yes. Uh, we're trying to come at you every Wednesday, 4.30 to 5.30 uh, Central Standard Time. We uh, want to send out some reminders, so like the Facebook page so you can see what we're going to talk about that day. And then you can find us on our app or at iTunes under our church's name, Metro Praise International, or find us at whatdoyoubelieveTV.com or at our Facebook page. So um, this is this section I want to get into, uh, you know, what's happening in the news right now. And uh, this is very important because it's going to top, uh, touch on politics. And I want to play a video here for you guys. But uh, before I do, I want to give you my, my kind of boundaries when it comes to politics. Now, when people say I don't like to talk about religion or politics, they basically just said they don't want to be my friend because all I want to talk about yes. is religion and politics. And by the way, the Bible, the entire Bible, all it's about is religion and politics in that sense. Now, of course, we know it's a relationship and politics is the kingdom being kingdom minded and how we should govern through God's principles. But really, the whole book, God and politics, it's it's the whole entire subject of the Bible and the kingdom of God coming and the Old Testament, how the kings didn't do it right and how God turned their heart to do it right. When they didn't, he punished them, eventually raising up Jesus to be the Messiah, starting a kingdom in our heart, a new governmental structure in our heart. And we influence the world we live in with him coming back and establishing his governmental system upon the earth, which shall have no end. His kingdom has no end. Amen. Amen. But uh, let me give you my boundaries when it comes to politics. Um, same thing was when President Obama was president. I didn't get into, uh, you know, posting things about his his educational plan or his health care and those types of things. Those aren't really my concern personally. And I think Jared's with me on that as a show. That's not really what we're going to focus on. But we'll probably focus on three things in politics. So if we ever hit on the area of politics like we're going to do today, it's generally generally going to hit on one of three areas. Number one, Christian rights. 
yes. uh, dealing with our First Amendment, freedom of speech. That's what we're going to deal with today with, uh, with Bernie Sanders. Uh, the other one is going to have to do with abortion and Christian ethics in the world. You know, So abortion and same-sex marriage are our big ethical issues that are in politics right now, but it could go to other things. So it's going to be like those ethical things. So the freedom of speech, Christians in, polit- uh, in politics and, and, and the government, how we're being treated and what rights we have. Then we're talking about the ethics of the Christian nation, so forth. And then anything that has to do with our nation's direction that we may have to give a prophetic voice to. Now, sometimes I'll get a word about immigration. And you can actually listen to my message. We did a Hot Topic sermon series, and I talked about immigration. And a lot of people from both sides, uh, you know, liberal or conservative, really loved my message because I really think I hit at it from the Bible's angle and not really a conservative party. Uh, So, you know, you'll hear us direct towards that. But I'm not here to beat up any president, whether it's Obama, Trump or anything on these minor day to day issues. I'm going to generally stay within those three things, being a prophetic voice to the direction of our nation, making sure we're guarding our Christian rights and the rights that we have as as churches and believers in the workplace and in government. And then ethical issues that really are going to affect us before God, like God will judge a nation that kills unborn children. Abortion is infanticide. Uh, God will judge a nation that redefines the family. Okay. So let's go to this video uh, with Bernie Sanders. Some of you had might have uh, might have already seen him. It was on my Facebook. Bernie is basically uh, grilling uh, one of Trump's guys that's been appointed to, I believe, a budgetary position. Mm-hmm. His name is Russell, Russell Vaught. And he was, uh, a, he's a graduate of Wheaton Bible College, which is Billy Graham's Bible College, okay? We're talking straight evangelical stuff here, okay? And there was a woman professor at at some point uh, a few years ago at Wheaton that said Muslims and Christians worship the same God, which, of course, is not true. We worship a triune God where Jesus Christ is the revelation of God to us, the Son of God equal to the Father, and they don't believe that. They don't believe Allah is a Father, nor does Allah have any sons, nor does Allah love sinners. And the big thing about our God. He's a God of love, and he loves the world. He doesn't just love the righteous. He loves the world. So anyways, uh, during this time, I guess Ross, Russell Vaught voiced his opinion and said the biblical answer to Islam is that we have to preach the gospel to them because they stand condemned without Christ. We don't worship the same God as this one female professor was saying, and she needed to be fired because this is a private institution that has doctrinal statements that it, that it must abide by. Just like in this church, I'm not going to hire a Satanist. I'm not going to hire somebody who doesn't believe what I believe. That's why we have bylaws. This is all common sense. And now he's coming up for this political appointee to be, to be appointed by Trump into a, a place of government. And let's look at uh, how Bernie Sanders treats him here. Let's watch this video. In the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent, you wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. End of quote. Do you believe, do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian. And I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, That post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my 
alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. And again, I apologize. I do forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. Of Wheaton I God. understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. Wow. Did you just hear that? Here the man is drilled for his Christian belief over and over and over again. And uh, Grandpa Bernie, as Apologia Radio, has a talk show coming out called Next Week. You guys need to check it out. Kind of rocks him on this. Grandpa Bernie looks like he wandered in from the nursing home into a Senate hearing meeting, not knowing what in the world was going on. What are you doing? Dude, Senator Bernie Sanders, this man is a Christian. He's explaining to you Christian beliefs. Let me just read it to you really quickly. Those of you who don't know maybe what Christians believe, Christians believe since the founding of this nation what we were to say to people who asked us questions about whether or not people stood condemned. Look at what Jesus said, or rather what John the Revelator said about Jesus. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Watch this, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So here it is. Do you want to be interviewed like that before your job? My friends, there were some Christians that were going to vote in Bernie Sanders. There were some Christians that were going to vote in Hillary Clinton. Now, do you think they would have ever allowed somebody like this to be on their appointments? And so here you have a genuine Christian, better for better or for worse, whatever you think about Trump, but here are genuine Christians coming into the government, and this is how they're being treated. 
He did not say he would treat Muslims different. He did not say that he would have a bigotry or have a hatred towards them, as the young Turks, Turks have said on, uh, on their YouTube channel, that he was a bigoted man. No, what he was simply saying is, as a Christian, I believe that Jesus is the only way, and that if you don't have Jesus, you are condemned according to the Bible. And every time he tried to say that, they got, he got mad at him and continued to interrupt him. Now, what's foolishness about this is that it's 100% hypocrisy because even the Muslims, yes, the Muslims believe that unless you are a Muslim, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it is foolishness to think that religions cannot have their own belief. And I went and listened to his uh, interview, Jared, on... Um, on CNN, and he's saying, he's kind of backing it up a little bit right now. He's basically saying, well, he can have his own Christian beliefs, but he can't do this in government. My friend, if we can't have Christian beliefs in government, then what is the First Amendment for? The First Amendment is to protect you from having discrimination based against your beliefs. So I want to say to everybody that was ready to get free, free education from uh, Bernie Sanders and feel the burn, as a Christian, do you feel the burn now? Mm. Do you feel the conviction? By the way, Quran 98.6, indeed, those who disbelieved among the people of the Scripture, the Jews and the Christians, and the polytheists will be in the fire of hell, abidingly, abiding eternally therein. Those are the worst of creatures. So not only Muslims believe that we're going to hell because we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but we're considered polytheists and the worst of all creatures. And here's the deal. If Bernie Sanders were to have his way, he would partner with Islam first to rid America of Christian Judeo values. And then what would happen is Islam would do, uh, do him a favor, I guess, or uh, do... Do, do their world take over because what the Muslims do is they use the socialists to tear down the West, to tear down Christian values. I know we went a little bit long, but Jared, what do you think about that? What are some key questions? Some key questions. Well, uh, I met a lot of Christians last year who are feeling the burn. And so my question to you is, is to reiterate that. Are you feeling the burn now? Um, a lot of Bernie, Bernie Sanders is basically a Marxist. He's a disciple of Karl Marx. And if you want a good resource on Karl Marx and his beliefs and how his beliefs are present in our culture, I recommend a lecture by Dr. Tony Costa. Find that on YouTube on cultural Marxism. Um, but it's basically this, it's a godless worldview. It's a godless worldview, and the state is God. The state is God in that point, uh, in that perspective. That's why the state gives free health care. That's why the state gives free education. And that's and they're in, ingrained in there, I guess, and in men like Sanders. He basically uh, – it's, it's funny, too, because Liberty University yeah. had him speak. And that's something. Yeah, during his own uh, presidential race. So he doesn't return the favor with grace and no. tolerance key word there so he doesn't return the tolerance favor but um yeah it's just fascinating but he's basically he's he's basically feeling more bold about his anti-christian anti-god point of view so christian friend if you've been amening bernie sanders and some of his rhetoric you know there's too many rich people or something like that you know we're all the 99 percent guys guys back up a bit do you know who you're amening you're amening someone who hates your god you're amening someone. If he had his way, then you would not be able to uh, exercise your faith whatsoever. Okay. Um, 
just be careful who you align yourself with when you get in matters of social justice and things like that. Um, so, so I guess the question to you is, are you still feeling the burn now? Uh, and, and if so, get off of that Amen. ASAP. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Jared's gems. All right. Um, you got some gems. I sure do. Um, I'll tell you what, I meet a lot of people. This is going to be about discipling your children. I meet a lot of people. Uh, I meet them on the street. I work at Teen Challenge, and I meet people there, too. And, and I meet, they're, they're, they're either preacher's kids or missionary kids or otherwise grew up in a very committed Christian homes, deeply ingrained in church culture, and they're all backslidden. Mm. Now, raise your hand if you want your kids to backslide. Obviously not. You know, if you love Jesus, you want your kids to love Jesus. That's the most right. important thing uh, that you could do for your children is teach them in the way they should go. Um, and so the Bible has a lot of clear admonitions about that. But having met so many preachers, kids, and, and, and kids who grew up in churches now grow up and they backslide, they rebel. Some of them become downright atheistic in their beliefs. Um, I, I don't want to judge the parents, and I, and I can't. And I think there were a lot of good, godly people that had great intentions and did their best. And I think a lot of it had to do with rebellion. Those people rebelled on their own. Those people just they, as Psalm 2 says, they throw off the shackles uh, of the Lord. They see the Lord's commands as burdensome and want nothing to do with them. But I'm willing to bet that there were at least a few homes where people had Christian parents or even pastors for parents, and their experience was uh, of Christianity was tried and found wanting. So I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old. So we'll, we'll check in with me in about 15 years. I'll tell you where they're at um, with Jesus. And, but I want them to love Jesus. I want them to, uh, his love. I want them to be passionate for him. I want them to have a call of ministry. And so the Bible, I think it has some very clear principles on that, that we should train them. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 actually talks about instilling these um, virtues in your children and if you read the book of Proverbs, um, you will frequently see these exhortations that begin with my son. In fact, you could just do a word search, my son, and find every, every time that phrase is found in Proverbs, where it's my son, my son, my son, listen to your father's voice, listen to your father's voice, listen to your father's voice. And so the Bible is very clear that parents are to have a key role in teaching and discipling their children. Let, let me say a few ways that we can veer away from this. One of the ways is when we abdicate our parental responsibility. Jared, just give me a second. We may be out of Facebook right now. We may be out of Facebook. Let me just see where we're at. I apologize, but it looks like we may be having a technical difficulty. Okay. Okay. No, we are not. It looks like it was just my phone that was having a te technical difficulty. All right. I apologize. Keep going, my brother. All right. Start from that point number one, please. Okay. So about discipling your children. The bottom line is we are to disciple our children. One of the ways that this goes wrong, I think even in well-intentioned uh, godly homes, is when we replace uh, ourselves as parents. We, we give up our responsibility as parents in the discipleship of our children. 
you know, the generation we call millennials, um, there's a lot of ideas about them that they're snowflakes because they melt. They're easily offended, thin-skinned, etc. Well, for all the bad things we could say about millennials, I think there are a few reasons that they are the way they are. And it's because they were raised by, by government and media, okay? They were raised by government and media. Um, the parents of the last generation have basically taken uh, a back seat um, in, disip- in, in discipling and instilling morals in their children and have left it to schools. And the schools are public schools, government schools. So you have them K through 12, uh, eight hours a day, five days a week. That's a long time. And then you have the media. You have Sesame Street. I mean, for goodness, goodness gracious. I mean, how early are kids told believe in yourself? Believe in yourself. That's a devil's lie. Okay? Believe in Jesus. Don't believe in yourself. You don't have the answers in yourself. Uh, God has the answers that you need. And so parents have basically given up their responsibility as parents to train and disciple their children. Uh, But beyond, let me make a more practical point. Okay. Um, Beyond all that, I think some things are kind of obvious. We should be teaching our children the Bible at home. Okay. Don't leave it just to church. They need to see it at home. They need to be prayed with at home, prayed for at home. They need to see models of godly relationships at home. Let me just share something quickly that's, that's been on my heart. We're doing something called uh, Safe Families, um, and this might just be a plug for that. Look them up if you want to know um, how you can love the poor and hurting in your context. Just a few moments ago, right, we're talking about how to be missionaries, how to love the people in front of you. Well, my family thought that it was, we can't quite adopt, we can't quite foster children, we can't go to Africa and and just live with all the children like Gene and Tisa do. So uh, we did safe families. Look them up. It's a Christian ministry. That in Chicago. Only, right? It's in, well, it's throughout Illinois. I believe oh, other states have it. Okay, so it might be other states as well. Okay. Yes, and you can look it up in your area. Uh, It's a Christian ministry, and it basically sets up a network of safe families, families that uh, they're obviously vetted. We we went through background checks and everything. Our testimony was checked that we are safe, loving people. And uh, I I found that this actually, there is a hidden benefit for for us. Uh, we're, We're getting to practice hospitality in a feasible sort of way, but this actually had a part in discipling our own children. See, a lot of my heroes in the faith, a lot of people I look up to, they not only teach their kids from the Bible about how to be loving and giving and sacrificial, but they show them and they involve them in the process. For example, I've seen great parents that I look up to who want to get their children out on the mission field. They take short-term mission trips to give their children an idea that there are people in need out there and life is not about them. One of my dear friends from Louisiana, I just remember seeing years ago, it really set a fire in my heart, just seeing him involve his eight-year-old son in a homeless outreach. And so they were out there together. I had my son, Jeremiah, he's, he's our oldest, uh, as part of the Puerto Rican Fest outreach. 
and that was his first evangelistic outreach. He was a real trooper. Pastor Joe has brought his daughters uh, out there, his eldest daughters. And so everybody that I've seen that I've looked up to and that I believe is doing it right is involving their children in the Lord's work. Well, let's take this back to safe families. So we take in a child whom we never met, and they're just at our house one day playing with our kids. Okay, what, do, what message does this send to the children? See, we want to teach them loving, giving, serving. Uh, we often get African-American children. Most of them have been African-American. Do you think my kids are going to grow up racist? No, they're not going to grow up racist. They're going to grow up sharing, having compassion. I just want to tear up. Um, you know, Jeremiah has um, really uh, has ministered to the kids uh, that we've had. And so, and, and then they're coming from these, and, and maybe I haven't explained it thoroughly. Safe families, okay. It is, uh, so we're taking in children short term. It's not like foster care where they're there indefinitely. It's not like adoption. Short term, while the parents are basically maybe moving, maybe they're in the hospital and they just don't have the means to take care of their children. So it's always a temporary thing. We might have kids a couple days, a couple weeks, sometimes a couple months, but it's always intended to be temporary while their parents are getting on their feet. Um, but, but anyway, we have had opportunities to love on those children, love on those families. To us, this is discipling our children. It is showing them the love of Jesus. Just like when Jesus discipled his disciples, he um, not only taught them, but look at Matthew 10. He sends them out. He gives them authority to preach, drive out demons, and do all, all of that stuff. Um, and so he involves them. He gives them responsibility. He empowers them. He actually expects them to do some of what he's doing. And so we found that beside the, the, the obvious benefit that we're serving these children and their families, it actually benefits our family uh, tremendously. And so I just can't say enough about that. So my question is, how are you discipling your family? What unique ways are you using to show your children the love of God and to involve them in his work? So that's my question for you today. All right. Amen. So it looks like we might have lost our mobile Facebook feed, which I have no idea why that went out. It looks like it's working here. So I'm going to keep, we're going to keep doing our show and then it can be watched later. So it's working on the desktop and not on the mobile feed. So I don't know if we're going to get any uh, questions, but I think what Jerry was just sharing was awesome because that really gives us the heart of what missions looks like in the practical sense. Yes. James says what is true and undefiled religion, taking care of orphans and widows. And actually at our church, we're able to do both. And the modern day widow in many ways is the, uh, the single mother, the yes. mother that has a lot of needs. And it looks like it's working on your phone. So it might've just been something going on on my phone. So guys, we're going to uh, get into the word right now. And if you have questions, post them up. This is uh, the What Do You Believe podcast. You can find us here on Facebook or whatdoyoubelievetv.com. We are your relevant Pentecostal voice focusing on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. We have already covered some segments. We like to break them up in 10, six-minute segments. We've done about us covering why we're Pentecostal. Uh, we talked a little bit about what's happening at MPI right now with the Nicoles and some mission um, strategies. Talked about it in the news with Bernie Sanders and uh, how uh, 
this is a sign to us how he treated this Christian appointee, that we need to be ready to stand our ground and uh, prepare for what could be persecution here in the future. And then Jared's gems are really just focusing on uh, parenting and using what God gives you in your resources to touch children's lives. And the scripture that he had given me for that, that we didn't have a time uh, to get to in his, in his uh, portion, but I'll read it right now is found in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, 8 through 9, and it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. So we should be a blessing to our children, teaching them the ways of the Lord, involving them in the ministry. Well, here, let me give you a word from the word. Luke chapter 6, verse 26, going on with our theme from in the news with uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, Jesus was a very loving person, but Jesus was hated by many. And why do you think someone who loved so much was hated by many? And that's because he stood for the truth, yes. right? So I like to title this, Hated by Many, Loved by Some. If you love the truth, you'll love Jesus. If you don't love the truth, you'll hate Jesus. And then it applies to us as his followers, you too, those of you who are listening. When you love Jesus, people will hate you. People will dislike you. Many people will. Now listen to what Jesus said. This is a part of kind of his teaching that we would call the Beatitudes. And Matthew doesn't have it there, but it has it, it says it in another way. Let's put it that way. Uh, but this is a sermon that I believe Jesus spoke of often, and the gospel writers, the reason why they have some differences here is because he probably talked it, uh, taught it a lot and emphasized different parts. But I like the way Luke emphasizes this. Luke 6, 26 says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for this is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And then here again in John chapter 15, 18 and onward, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because Jesus has chosen you out of the world. Verse 20 now, remember what I told you, servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Do you get that? If, if Bernie Sanders is obeying the teachings of Jesus, will he listen to the teachings of Jesus from Russell Vaught at the Senate hearing? Yes. But if Bernie Sanders is angry with the teachings of Jesus, that false religions like a false prophet like Muhammad and his followers will go to hell. They're condemned without the cross. If he hates that about Jesus, will he hate that about Russell Vaughn? Oh, yes. yes, and he'll hate that about us too. Jesus predicted this 2,000 years ago. So thank you, uh, Grandpa Bernie, for confirming the word of God. You didn't know that, but you did. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done, the, done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me, look it, without reason. 
So Luke, once again, 626, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. So we shouldn't be invited on Oprah Winfrey's show and expect her to speak well of us if we tell her she is condemned without Christ, not following a true gospel, and is promoting sin, right? So they're not going to speak well of me on the Katie Couric show. They're not going to speak well of me if I come there and tell them the truth. Why? Because Jesus said they didn't like the real prophets back in the day. They didn't like the real prophets, and so they wanted false prophets. And so the false prophets back in the day are the ones everybody in Israel liked, and it will be same today. They'll love the ones who come onto their talk shows, agree with them, say it's not really that big of a deal between Islam and Christianity, or not that big of a deal with same-sex love and heterosexual love, because this is how false prophets and sinners have always been. Sinners love to prop up, prop up false teachers. And as a matter of fact, we could also say in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and onward, Paul said, in the presence of Jesus, uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his coming, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine is said to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Second Timothy chapter four, verse four. Now they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. What is a myth? A myth is that there's such a person called Jesus who doesn't send people to hell. That is a myth. That's buddy Jesus. That's not real Jesus. What else is a myth? It's a myth that the sexually immoral will, will inherit the kingdom of God. Where Paul was clear in Galatians chapter 5, that the sexually immoral shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's sex with someone you're not married to, shacking up, living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, same sex, polyandry, sex with multiple people, swinging, whatever. The sexually immoral shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You believe that you're sexually immoral, looking at pornography, having sex with yourself, doing whatever. You think you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? That's myth. That's no more true than Thor and where Asgard is, where they live. What's Asgard. This? Asgard. There you go. It's a myth. So to summarize this word today, we may be hated by many, but we'll be loved by some. And we're in good company because we're with the real prophets and we're with Jesus. And guess what? If they hated Jesus, they'll hate us. If they love Jesus, they'll love us. Now, those that hate us, what do we do with them? The Bible says, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's in the Beatitude account of Matthew chapter 5. So we are to love them, to pray for them, to keep preaching the gospel to them and not give up. But knowing this, in this world, we will suffer persecution. But be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. What do you think about that, Pastor Jared? Yeah, on a practical note, I, I think there's there's two extremes here that we need to avoid. We want to be like Jesus. We don't want to compromise. And if that means the world hates us, then so be it, right? Yeah. But there's, there's the extreme. There's two extremes. The number one is you're just obnoxious and you have martyr syndrome. That's one thing. Yeah. And then the other is you're a politician. Okay. If you're obnoxious and you have martyr syndrome, and I have some friends like this, and I love, I love you guys, but um, they're like everybody's going to hell, and they're just announcing. They're on Facebook, just rebuking everyone and everything, yeah. 
And then when people don't like them and other Christians even avoid them, it's martyr syndrome and they become these righteous sufferers. We don't want to be like that. And then we don't want to be like the politician. Uh, see, Russell Vote, he was actually a politician. That was a political context. And so he's talking about Wheaton College and the whole background story of, of the woman, you know, saying that, that Islam and uh, Christianity have the same God. So he's trying to explain that. He's, he's, you can tell he's politicking a little bit. Us preachers, we're just saying, hey, isn't it clear? Just say yes, just say no, just say what things are. And so I, we, I don't fault him for that in that context, so to speak. Is, but um, oftentimes we politic. We're afraid of clearly saying what's in Scripture. If you, answer, if you are asked a question about homosexuality and you believe the Bible, and you're a pastor, you should know what to say. That's right. You shouldn't have to do a song and dance and say, That's well, right. what, what was the question? I don't know if I should name this name, but the guy, the yeah. guy on Katie Couric was asked, do you yeah. have a position on homosexuals? And he's like, well, we have a position on love. <laughs> and she just like looks at him like he has three eyeballs. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. You know, and he becomes to the point where he's nonsensical by dodging and evading the question. So between the, um, the extremes of having the martyr syndrome and being obnoxious for so-called righteousness sake. And then the, pol the, the political type of person who is just dodging and evading questions and being vague on purpose. We need to speak clear truth. Whenever asked, whenever it comes up, we'll just say plainly what the truth of scripture is. People without Jesus are, per are, are perishing. Hell is real. Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so we don't need to mince our words. We don't need to say them with a big sign with flaming letters on them. We don't need to say them from a blowhorn, though there's nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. We got some friends with the blowhorn, and we got a blowhorn too, so don't mess with us. <laughs> but, you, you know, we need to speak the truth uh, plainly. So my question to you guys, to, to, my, to our listening audience is, does the world love you a little too much? Yeah. And if they do, if there's people who hate Jesus deep down and they love you, yeah. could it be that you don't remind them of Jesus? Some stuff to share. I have friends who are non-Christian. Um, obviously, I, I don't avoid them and, and scorn them because yeah. I think that would be an extreme, but they know where I stand. They know where I stand. And I have lost friends and I have had relationships with family members, even uh, broken uh, in ways and, and strained because of that, because I'm not going to tell them something I don't believe. Um, and so we have to be willing to do that. That's, I think, at what, what might be the meaning of what it means to hate your father, mother, sister, brother. Uh, and, and even your own life in order to be his disciple. Because if, if it comes down to family, comes down to friends, comes down to reputation, comes down to everything this world has to offer in Jesus, you, you know what choice you have to make. Yeah. You will love Jesus and you will hate everything else. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. I think um, that's the way we have to live as Christians is with that mindset if God is for me and everyone else is against me, I'm still on the, the winning side. Yes. Because if God is on my side, I win and we win. Yes. And uh, that's Hallelujah. what's up. And so, guys, thank you for joining with us. I don't know what happened with our Facebook feed. It looked like on my phone I had some problems. Either way, 
We got a minute and a half here with the live audience. If anybody has any questions, looks like it's still going good on Jared's phone. So you guys just may not be asking any questions. My phone might be acting up a little bit. But uh, stay in touch with us. Ask questions uh, throughout the week. We'll try to answer them on the show as well. We want to do this 4.30 to 5.30 Central Standard Time every Wednesday. You can stay in touch with us through uh, the Facebook page. We're going to keep uh, doing these shows for the next uh, season here. We like breaking them up in our segments. What you've heard today is about our love for Pentecostalism, how we want to have strategies for missions. Keep an eye on politics. Make sure we're filtering it through the Word of God doing the works of a parent and uh, really doing those things that raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. And uh, the word that we had today is that uh, if you're hated by many and loved by some, you're on the winning side. Okay. So subscribe to us through iTunes or our Facebook app under the same name of the church, Metro Praise International. So you can take us with you or look at the webpage. What do you believe TV.com. If you're interested in Bible college, uh, uh, Jared's a professor, and I'm a cohort advisor here or a, a cohort visionary leader of a Pentecostal school that's based out of Oakland but has accredited uh, branches, uh, cohorts across the nation called SUM. You can go to sum.edu, school urban missions, sum.edu if you want to check that out. And uh, we just want to tell you, this is what we believe. We want to know, what, what do, do you believe? believe? All right. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Later.